0: Welcome to Catalyst Church, and uh, so glad you're joining us for this special service that we are bringing you here online. And as you may have realized, if you are a Catalyst regular, uh, this past Sunday, our online services did not go as planned. And uh, the reason we don't even have a recording to show you, because we truly had a technical difficulty beyond our control. Uh, a piece of equipment that was necessary, failed on us. And our team, they worked tirelessly trying to make it happen, and uh, we just could not. So we want to record a special service for those who could not be in person with us on Legacy Sunday. And of course, those as well who I know that tune in each week from uh, not just around the country, but around the the world who catch uh, Catalyst Church online. So we want to record this service uh, for you. Uh, it was a special day in church for our Legacy Sunday weekend, and I'm excited to bring this message to you today. Uh, it is our legacy service, our legacy message, and uh, if many of you uh, who are watching uh, have already Uh, If you're new to Catalyst, this is a season of our church where we give a legacy offering above and beyond our tithe uh, towards the advancement of what God's calling us to as a church. And so many of you have already done so and given generously. And I want to thank you for your generosity. And note this, that if you have not yet, the legacy fund is going to remain open uh, until the end of the year. Uh, So from now until December 31, you can give your legacy offering above and beyond your tithe. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit what that was going to go towards and uh, how your generosity is going to impact lives here at Catalyst Church. A few things I want to mention, though, before we kind of get into the message. Well, I'm excited to bring you today. Uh, next Sunday, if uh, you are in the Washington, D.C. area, I want to invite you to be in church in person it's gonna be Christmas Sunday here at Catalyst Church, and uh, I'm excited because we're gonna have some Christmas fun. Uh, you can even come in your favorite Christmas sweater. We're diving back into our message series, "The Gift," talking all about joy in our Advent series, and uh, we're also gonna have some special elements, some Christmas treats, some come on, some cookies, some hot cocoa bombs. We're even for the kids, both. Little and big kids, come on if you want, uh, pictures with Santa. Uh, we'll have a gift for all of our kids who are in attendance. It's going to be a whole lot of fun this Sunday. I can't wait. My kids are already excited. It'll be a great service this Sunday, 930, 1115, to invite a neighbor, to invite a coworker, a friend to uh, as we celebrate Christmas. We believe Christmas should be celebrated not just once, but twice. Come on because uh, as you know, we'll have our Christmas Eve services five days later. Uh, we'll have Christmas Eve at Catalyst Church, uh, 4 o'clock and 5.30 for those services. I want to invite you to those if you are in town. Uh, if you've been around Catalyst, you've heard me say, this time of year, people are more open to faith really than any other time of the year uh, next to Easter. So I want you thinking about praying about who you're going to invite to come to church uh, with you either on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve at Catalyst. And uh, I've even heard stories of some Catalyst family members who've invited a neighbor who has not been to church in years, and they're coming on Christmas Eve. So join us. Be a part of us celebrating Christmas together either this Sunday, and if you're in town for both of them, come to both services this Sunday with Christmas Sunday and then on Christmas Eve on the 24th. If you're out of the area, you're traveling then, uh, you can tune in online. Our Christmas Eve services are 4 o'clock and 5.30. There'll be traditional candlelight. Uh, We'll take communion, sing Christmas songs, share the Christmas story, and uh, it'll be a great time. 4 o'clock service, we'll have a full kids ministry. The 5.30, we're inviting kids to come into the main service uh, with their parents. It's going to be a great, great time. Uh, One last thing I'll make mention of is that next Sunday, as well as Next Steps, and if you have not yet taken that step to get connected in the life of the church, uh, do so uh, with Next Steps this upcoming Sunday after our 1115 service uh, here at the Bethesda Hotel. It's going to be a great, great time. Uh, Also, today I mentioned it is our, uh, we had our legacy service, and uh, our legacy offering, and if you've been coming to Catalyst the past couple months, you've heard of this. You've heard us talk about this. Uh, but our legacy offering is going towards three major areas of vision as a church. Uh, here's the first one that we're going to be focusing on going into next year: is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. Uh, one of those ways is through our online service. Uh, investing specifically in our online service so that we can continue to serve those who many of our guests come. They first watch us online. Uh, We also have people who also uh, tune in from around the world and we want to make sure that we serve and we continue to reach people uh, through this manner. Uh, And also here in Bethesda to continue to invest in our services and our experiences to keep reaching the Washington D.C. area. And if you've been around Catalyst, you know this, our future, we've been planning and praying for in our future. We don't have details yet. But a permanent home here in Bethesda that we can uh, not just serve the community on Sunday, but every day of the week. And then also future locations around the DC area. So many people here, they'll come from Gaithersburg and Silver Spring and Hyattsville and Northern Virginia and even the district. And we know that a best way to reach uh, their neighbors and your neighbors uh, is to have locations all around the Washington area. Uh, our second major focus on what this legacy offering will go towards uh, is developing and disciple all generations here at Catalyst Church. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our kids and student ministries. Uh, It's been amazing to see how our kids team are investing in our kids. And uh, in this next year, we have some plans uh, to do some things to invest specifically into our family ministries, our next gen. And uh, I'm so excited about what God has for us. You've heard me share this, but with each succeeding generation, studies show there's less percentage of people following Christ. And we're going to do our part here at Catalyst Church to reverse that trend in Jesus name. And then our last major area of focus is going to be on making a greater difference throughout the Washington, D.C. area and beyond. And this is where our outreach and missions efforts. This upcoming year, we're going to be increasing the number of outreaches we do. We just did one last Sunday, uh, December 5th. We had a Christmas uh, stocking stuffing outreach, or we stuff stockings for uh, Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless, uh, 122 stockings going to families in need this holiday season. We'll be having more opportunities to bless our community. Also, increasing our national and international partnerships. Uh, we partner with the Association of Related Churches. This past year, we planted over 64 churches. Your generosity helped that to take place. We're going to continue supporting church planting through the Association of Related Churches. Uh, we're also partnering with Convoy of Hope who responded to natural disasters. In fact, your generosity is already helping uh, the victims of the tornadoes in the midwest this past weekend uh, convoy of hope is there boots on the ground giving out needed supplies food water baby supplies as these families have lost everything uh, and of course one hope who's putting the hands bible in the hands of children around the world as you many of you know one child our partnership with them And your generosity is going to go towards these efforts as a church. Know this, that your giving, your investment in the kingdom of God will make an impact on eternity and leave a legacy far beyond our time here on earth. With that said, I'm excited to dive in today. I have a a special message for this, uh, this specific service. Uh, on this whole topic of legacy. I've entitled the message, The Miracle of Multiplication. And if you ever maybe wonder personally, um, how, how can I live a life where where I, I'm experiencing the supernatural power of God, the, the miracle-working power of God. This message is for you because sometimes you can feel like there's this dichotomy between what I read in the text of Scripture and what I'm experiencing in my life, and my hope that this message will help to bring some of the, the, the miracle-working power of God into your life. We're going to look uh, as at of Scripture in the Gospels, It's the only miracle next to the resurrection that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a pretty important one. It's the feeding of the multitude. Uh, Many of you know this. It's where Jesus took two loaves or five loaves of bread and two fish, uh, broke them, ended up feeding uh, well over 15,000 people conservatively. And uh, we're going to look at this passage today and glean some insight for uh, our lives. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time uh, Lord, we bless our time. Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, through me, God. I pray we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you as we open up your word. We love you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to read the text. It's out of Matthew 14. Again, we're going to read Matthew's. Uh, uh, a record of this. We're going to reference uh, Luke's and John's as well, but uh, let's read Matthew's uh, text. In verse uh, 13 to chapter 14, he says, When Jesus heard what had happened, to give context, he just heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded for his faith. Uh, he actually then kind of wanted to pull away his disciples, withdraw with his disciples for a time of rest. The Bible says he withdrew by pro- privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Uh, and when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and eat and themselves eat, get some food, buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass, take five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples and disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Again, scholars uh, say that given the average size of a Galilean household that it would have been conservatively 15,000 men, women, and children that were fed in this moment. I want to draw out from this passage three principles scripturally we can apply to our life uh, to experience God's miracle working power in our own life. Here's the first one, and that is we have to trust God with our whole heart. Uh, Jesus in this moment, his disciples, in fact, John's narrative uh, records Philip, one of the disciples. When Jesus said for for the disciples to feed them, Philip's like, Jesus, it's going to take a half a year's wages. They were naturally thinking naturally and and understandably. And it gives me great great encouragement to know that here are these disciples who saw Jesus open blind eyes, who saw Jesus heal the lame. And here they are still having some doubts that God can do what he's saying he can do. But, but here in this moment, that, that eventually what they did, because they went along with the plans of Jesus, they trusted God in this moment. Let me just encourage you, because I think as these disciples, they almost allowed uh, their, their natural thinking to limit God's supernatural power. And sometimes, uh, that listen, God has given us a mind to use and to work and to steward. And I think it honors God when we think and we work hard with our minds. However, if we're not careful, our overthinking, him begin to actually push God out of the picture sometimes because we have a hard time believing he can do what he says he is going to do. I love what Jeremiah wrote as he's prophesying to the Israelites. He he writes this in uh, 17:7. This is from the Lord through Jeremiah's pen, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear I love what this says, that blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. That word trust, simply to give you a word picture, is like lying face down, Uh, to be completely dependent. And Jeremiah says blessed or happy or fulfilled is the one who's dependent on God. And then he says, essentially, regardless of the circumstances, you'll always bear fruit. You'll always be moving forward. You'll never worry. You'll never deal with fear. Those who trust in God. And here's why Jeremiah was writing this, because the Israelites, at this point, were dabbling in Babylon politics. They were dabbling in some Babylonian politics as well as trusting in God. So instead of trusting in God wholeheartedly, they were trusting in God half- Heartedly. They were trusting in God in some areas of their life, but not trusting in God in all areas of their life. And the same can happen to us. We can trust God in our finances, but not trust God with our relationship. We can trust God with our relationships, but not trust God with our work life. We can trust God with our work life, but not trust God with our finances. And here's how you know if there's an area of your life where you're not trusting in God. You're not living according to his word. You're not trusting in his word. Here's how you know you trust God at his words, that you do his word. My question for you is this, are there any areas of your life where you're having difficulty trusting God where you're not doing what his word says to do? I want to encourage you and exhort you today to trust God. I love what James, brother of Jesus said, if any of you lacks wisdom, You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James speaks a very direct and and rather blunt message, and he refers this whole idea of being a double-minded person. It's the first time it appears in the text, in the New Testament. And this word double-minded literally means double-souled to be like two different people. Come on, like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Come on, somebody. What James is saying is that one part of you, one side of you, uh, trust God, is, 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 is all in with God. And there's one side of you that's hesitant, that doubts God. And let me say this, it's natural in life to have doubts. But instead of wrestling with doubt apart from God, can I encourage you, wrestle your, with your doubt along with God. And James here is saying that there's this double-minded, you're you're unstable in all that you do. It reminds me of you ever going to a restaurant with somebody who has a hard time making a decision? Come on. Every time the waiter comes, like a few more minutes, a few more minutes. Come on. Eventually you're like full on the chips and you're like, listen. You get the steak fajitas, I'll get a chicken enchilada, and then we'll split it. Come on, somebody. Uh, He's saying you're unstable in all you do. One day you're trusting, one day you're not. One day you're passionate, you're on fire for God, one day you're not. In fact, even in the Scripture, it says not to be lukewarm, rather be hot or cold. Man, can I encourage you? Make the decision. Here's the antidote for double-mindedness commitment. Decide, God, regardless of how I feel, regardless of my understanding or lack thereof, I'm going to decide to trust you. I'm going to decide to believe in In you because you are good and what you do is good. It reminded me some years ago, as James said, the waves and the wind and being tossed to and fro. I took my my children to the beach and I was walking with my son Judah, probably three or four at this point. I was walking him into the ocean and he was a little bit unsure. He hadn't been to the ocean much and uh, he was unsure of the waves. He was used to a pool, not these waves. And as he was walking up uh, to the water, he was kind of half in, half out. But sure enough, this wave comes Knocks him over. He starts crying. People on the beach are staring at me as if I'm a bad father. He runs to his mom. Uh, Eventually, he builds up the courage again to go out. He goes all in. The waves come. They roll right over him. Why? Because he was committed. He was all in. And can I tell you, church, listen, some of you, James says those who are are double-minded are unstable, and they receive nothing from God. Some of you are not seeing the spiritual progress you want to see in your life. You're not experiencing the full blessing of God in your life because you're half in, you're half out. You're sometimes on fire, you're sometimes cold, you're lukewarm. And can I tell you this? God's hope for your life is to be on fire for God. What area of your life? Are you not trusting God? Are you not pursuing God? I love what this theologian Charles Spurgeon says. We cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. You may not always see how he's working, but you can trust God is working on your behalf. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 112, 7, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear in the end, they will look to, to, in triumph on their foes. I love this, this whole idea of the, the righteous are never never shaken, trusting in God. It reminded me, when I was a kid, I remember earthquake drills in school. And they would teach you if you're at home and there's an earthquake, you, you kind of grab hold of the doorframe. Because in, in homes, especially older homes, the doorframes are the strongest part of the house. The, the drywall uh, may collapse in, the ceilings uh, may collapse, uh, but the doorframe will stand firm. And they would teach you to brace yourself in that doorframe. And can I tell you, we are promised in Scripture that the things of this world will be shaken, but there is one kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that will never be shaken. And we can depend on God. We can depend on the kingdom of heaven in our life. It reminds me of what, what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace or perfect shalom or completeness or wholeness. Those whose mind are steadfast because they trust. They're dependent on you. Trust God with your whole heart. Here's number two is play our part in God's word. What happens next, and Matthew's account doesn't give a full account of this, but other, trans, other accounts do, uh, is that the five loaves and two fish come from a young boy. And the disciples and offer that unto to Jesus, and it reminds me. I often just put myself in this story that if I'm the I'm the little boy, you know, out of the fifteen thousand minimally people there, this one boy was the only one. Come on, he brought a snack. I just presume maybe you he heard of Jesus before, and he was like, "Listen, I know this Jesus. He he preaches a little bit long. Come on, somebody, uh, and he sometimes starts healing people. And next thing you know, we're there for hours. I'm gonna bring myself a snack. Come on, somebody, and and again, in an ordinary average Galilean meal was fish and bread. Come on, note that it wasn't fish and kale. Come on, it's always of the Lord to eat bread. And he he, he had this fish and bread, And, and Jesus in this moment, because he was willing to offer the ordinary, God added his extra to the ordinary, and it became an extraordinary moment. Listen, if you invite God into the mundane moments of your life, the mundane moments can become miraculous moments when you invite God into them. We see it all throughout Scripture, right? Moses, because he invited God into his life, he submitted to God. God took an ordinary shepherd's staff, and Moses, part of the Red Sea, God threw Moses part of the Red Sea with that ordinary, ordinary and the extraordinary. Joshua and the Israelites, marching around the wall of Jericho, they took an ordinary ram horn, blew into it, the walls come down. Samson, he took an ordinary jawbone, and by the power of God, killed 1,000, Thousand of his enemies, ordinary made extraordinary. David, a young shepherd boy, took a small stone and and knocked down a giant. The ordinary turned into the extraordinary. Reminds me, David in Psalm thirty seven wrote this. David was at this point an elder, wise in his years, leaving some parting wisdom to his soldiers, to those that he led. And he said this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Let me also say this. David wrote this to men who were working in the government. Sometimes we can read scripture and we can separate uh, kind of our spiritual life from the rest of our life. But note that these these instructions uh, were not just for segments of their life. He was speaking to men at battle and commit your way to God God will bring things to pass in your life when you commit your way to God God will turn the mundane into the miraculous it reminded me years ago uh, I had as a young adult man some some years ago I won't say how many years I was a single young man and and most of my early 20s just I'm gonna be honest with you I spent in pursuit of a relationship with a woman true story when I came to Christ as a young adult and I began to pursue God, I, I felt specifically, God was speaking to me, saying Jeremy, for years you pursued a relationship with a woman, now I want you to pursue a relationship with me. And literally, I felt like God had said, man, to stop looking for a relationship, just focus in on Him. I was like a horse with blinders. I would go to work. I was working as a psychologist at the time. I'd go to work. I'd go to the gym. I'd go to church. I'd go to my community group, and I served with the outreach team. That's all I I did and when I wasn't doing those things, I was at home literally reading like a, a book by a, a Christian author, my pastor recommended, or I was just just chilling. Like I, I literally, that was my that was my life. Because I, I I took the word of the Lord. I'm gonna commit my way to God's way. It doesn't make sense because I was in my mid-20s, like right? The prime of when you're looking for a relationship. Man, but but I felt God said, Man, this is the time I want you to pursue me. And little did I realize, in that season, I was one day, come on, an ordinary chest and tricep day at the gym. Come on, somebody. And I was wrapping it up with a little bit of a cardio elliptical. And then this beautiful redhead comes right along next side of me, right next to me. And again, I had blinders and I wasn't even thinking about it, but I saw her and I said, the Lord is good. Come on, somebody. We struck up a conversation, had, a, had about a 90-minute conversation around faith. And uh, I, I walked off and I looked like I had just walked through the rain. I was soaked in sweat. And uh, we had this incredible conversation. And two months later, come on, I asked her, uh, to be my girlfriend, and four months after that, I asked her to marry me quite and waste any time, uh, but that woman now, 11 years later, is, 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 is still my wife, and we have three kids, and lead this church together, And uh, but I believe this church. Listen to me. For years, I was striving for a relationship like what I have. And when I submitted my way to God, that's a word for some of you. You've been striving for something. You've been trying to make something happen. And listen, we are conditioned culturally to make things happen, especially in the Washington, D.C. area if you're here. Like we're conditioned, like make it happen, grind it out. But there are times the Lord will say, let me do this. What the, the author of the proverb in Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. Paul said to the Corinthian church, I love this, in 1 Corinthians 27, it kind of opens up the letter this way. He says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Do you want to know what's Foolish. It's foolish how God to use a boy, a little boy with five loaves and two fish to be the one that provides the source of the miracle. Why is that foolish in 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 that Galilean culture? Because as you noted in the scripture, it says they counted 5,000 men and women and children. And that culture, it was a very patriarchal culture and oppressive towards women and children. Uh, women and children weren't even counted. So here is Jesus. He he points out a discounted little boy. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna work with you. And can I tell you, you look all throughout scripture, God does not call the the highly, he often calls the lowly. He often calls the overlooked. He often calls the ones that other people forgot about. You know what's foolish even this Christmas season? See, when when Jesus came to the earth, many did not think he was the Messiah because they were expecting the Messiah to come from heaven in a white horse with a sword to take down Caesar. But he came in the form of a baby in a manger with farm animals. That is foolish, church. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was called the Gentiles, he was trained and educated in Mosaic law, perfectly fitted to reach the Jewish people. But God said, no, I'm going to have you reach the Gentiles. That's foolish. Then he calls Peter, an uneducated, untrained fisherman, to reach the Jewish people. That's foolish, culturally speaking. But that's the way that God works, church. He will cause the foolish things of the world, the weak things, the lowly things, the feeble things of the world. That's how God works. Even look at the story of David. God called a shepherd boy to be Israel's king. That's how he works, church. Listen, if we're not careful, we can think to ourselves sometimes when we feel God calling us to something. Sometimes He will call us to something in an area of our life we don't feel qualified for. But let me just encourage you with this. If God's called you to it, He's qualified you for it. And do not disqualify yourself from something God has pre-qualified you for. Why? Because God loves to use things that appear to the world to be foolish to shame the wise. I'm passionate about this because when we started the journey of starting Catalyst Church, even though we had leaders in our life tell us, hey, we feel like you're called to be a senior pastor. You're called to do this. Even though we had people encouraging us, I still at times struggle with not feeling qualified. You want to know one of the reasons why? Because ever since I was a young boy, I had an issue with stuttering. Even in my young adulthood, I was bullied in school because I stuttered. And here's God in heaven. I think he looks down and says, I'm going to call you, Jeremy, who at times in your life had a hard time getting words to come out of your mouth. I'm going to call you to proclaim the good news of my God, the gospel, every single week. And can I tell you, in the same way as we see in this passage, when God calls the foolish things of the world, here's the beauty of it. He gets the glory. We don't. People can see clearly, as in this story, like clearly. Clearly the hand of God was here because he used a young boy with five loaves and two fish. Clearly the hand of God was on David. He was a young shepherd boy called to be a king. Clearly God was on Esther. She was a a, a Hebrew woman who was called to be the queen in a Babylonian kingdom. And clearly God will call you in situations. You'll feel unqualified, ill-equipped. But Listen, do not disqualify yourself from something God's pre-qualified you for. In the second letter of the Corinthian church, Paul said this. But he said to me, Paul was referring to his own weaknesses, his own insufficiencies. The Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, Paul says, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulty. Catch this, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul came to this moment, again, Paul, very accomplished, very educated, Uh, I mean, very much in that culture, he was uh, well-respected, well-honored, and here he's saying that, listen, it's in my weakness God's power is perfected. You know what it is when it's in our weakness, and listen, we have a culture that loves strengths, and I'm all about it, strengths finders, strength-based leadership, I'm all about that. But listen, I think as a follower of Jesus, we need a weakness finder. Because in our weakness, it's in those places where we don't feel like we're enough. It's in our deficiencies we experience Christ's sufficiency. It's in our weakness we experience God's Power in our life so that we may boast about Him. If we overemphasize our strengths, we'll underutilize God's power. But when we embrace our weakness and say, like, even for me, I came to the realization, and to be honest, it took me a while to get to a place to embrace the fact that, man, I had a stuttering issue. But God called me to proclaim his good news. Why? Because he uses the foolish things to proclaim the wise. It's in my weakness. His power is made perfect. Why? Not because because I'm not here to get the glory. It's God's glory. And God wants that on your life so when people see your life, they see the hand of God. I want you to live a life in such a way it does not make sense to the natural eye. Because they see the blessing, and the power, and the grace of God so evident on your life they can see you and say, Man, he's not good enough to do that she's not good enough to do that and you can say you're right but God but God you got to play your part though. you have to do your part as we see this young boy and the disciples do I love what Christian author Joni Erickson today says deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength in you here's my third and final point church and that is to expect God to perform a miracle. So you trust God with your whole heart. You play your part. Then you expect God to do his. We see that in this moment that they begin to hand out. That I love that there were 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. There was an overflow. I love that we have a leftover God. That there's, there's more than enough. There's not scarcity. There's abundance. And we have an abundant God. And there was, there was more than enough in this moment that they did their part. God did what only he could do. And it reminds me of how everyone was, was satisfied. Everyone had their full. The 15,000 were fed, so were the disciples in that moment. And it reminds me of what Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians 4, 15. Moreover, as your Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid uh, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. In that moment, Paul was saying that, listen, and we've been talking about this church, that actually, that we will receive rewards in heaven because of, based on our faithfulness and obedience here on earth. That Paul's saying, listen, because of your generosity to the ministry and the mission of Jesus, when you get to heaven, rewards are actually credited to your account. And can I tell you today, your faithfulness and your willingness to even give in the legacy offering, more will be credited to your account because people will hear the gospel. Kids will be raised learning about Jesus. People will be blessed because of your generosity. And As Paul says, more is credited to your... Your account. And then he says, And my God, verse 19, will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul said, that, listen, others are going to be blessed through your generosity. And God's going to meet your needs. What do we see in this story? The 15,000 were fed, but so were the disciples. And sometimes we're not careful, what can withhold us from experiencing the blessing and the power of God is a scarcity mindset. Like there's not enough. If I give what I have, if I offer what I have, will there be enough for me? And biblically speaking, like, like, like unanimously, the answer is there will be more than enough for you when you begin to take care of the mission of God and serve people in Jesus' name. We see God as, a, as above and beyond church. This is the way, that's the miracle multiplication. We do our part, we trust God, He does His part. That's what Paul's referring to in Ephesians 3:20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory and the church in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. When we do our part, God adds his super to our natural. I'm going to give you a visual of what this can look like in our lives. If I'm able to, I'd love to be able to have a a visual of what this can look like so that you can fully understand and have a picture of the principles that we see scripturally. Uh, And what we have here... Uh, is a water pitcher uh, and a small glass of water. I want to give you what this represents, scripturally speaking, and what we've just learned about. That that this this small cup of water is us playing our part. It's us doing our part in the context of our legacy offering. It's the it's what we're giving. It's a part. Listen, it may appear, maybe maybe you think, man, this is small in the grand scheme of everything, but it's not insignificant. It's significant to God. It's significant to his kingdom. It's significant to the mission of God. And when we do our part, in the same context, this young boy gave his five loaves and two fish, when you're obedient to God, even in the small areas, even in the private moments, when you trust God, those areas that nobody else would know whether or not you're obedient and you're obedient, Obedient in those areas, can I tell you, church, you do your part. Here's what happens. I want you to catch this. God sees your obedience. God sees your, your faithfulness And Then he does exceedingly and abundantly and above all you could ever ask, think, or imagine. He adds his super to your natural. He adds his miraculous to the mundane. He adds his extra to your ordinary, and all of a sudden, you have more than enough. You experience the miracle of multiplication. You did your part, and God did his, and all are blessed. And that's what happens, church. When you trust God, listen, even this this offering, when you give to God in this offering, here's what happens. You're blessed because of your obedience. And then others' lives are blessed because of your obedience. Are you seeing what happens? See, if we hold on to the things in our life that God's asking us to let go of, it never actually is released into his hands, and it can't be multiplied in blessing others while blessing ourselves. But when we release it to God, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So we trust God with our whole heart. We play our part. What is it God's asking you? Can I ask you this? What area of your life do you need to trust God? I don't know what it is for you, but is there an area? We're all human, so we all have areas we can trust God some more. What's that area for you? I would encourage you today, take a step. Don't wait. Don't make a plan. Take a step right now, today, wherever you're watching this, at whatever time, take a step. I'm going to do something today to trust God, to be obedient to him. Play your part. Do what he's asking you to do. And then expect God to do a miracle. Can I play pray with you, church? I want to pray with two groups, as we always do. If you're here and you feel distant from God, uh, maybe you're here, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or come into a relationship with him. I want to pray with you right where you are. Uh, just wherever you are watching this, whether you're at home, in the gym, wherever it might be, I want you to pray this prayer with me right where you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for going to the cross and giving your life for me. I believe you rose again. I confess you're Lord of my life. I ask that you lead me and you guide me in this life all the way into heaven. I repent of my sin and I turn towards you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. Pray with one more group. If you're here and you would just say, maybe there's an area of your life that you need to trust God in a greater way, I'm going to pray with you right where you so as you receive this, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would empower them by your spirit. Give them the courage to trust. When it's hard, they don't feel like it, to trust and obey your word, and they would experience your blessing in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, as we close, I want to make mention of, if you have not yet, I want to, if, you, if Catalyst is your home church, I would encourage you, ask God how he would have for you to give to our legacy offering. You go on our website, under our giving page, there's a link to give to our legacy offering, the legacy fund. And uh, listen, this is about playing our part, connecting with God, and obeying what He's telling us to do. And I would encourage you to do so. And expect for God to bless you and bless others through it. I love you so much, church. We'll see you next Sunday.